0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, as we continue our focus on the life of David, we'll be looking at his life of worship, the the relationship between David and God and how he worshiped him. And we're going to look at a very strange story. This is after David became king. And uh, he establishes worship, and every detail in this section is very important. It's going to be very strange and very odd, but very important. Second Samuel chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, this golden box that represents the presence of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums, whatever that is, and cymbals. We should maybe get some of those. Um, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was burning with anger because of the Lord's wrath and had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez usa which means to break out against Ussa. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite, That's a, a, a pagan, a foreigner. The ark of the Lord God remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark, carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us around your word in person and online to hear from you. We don't want to hear from a mere human being. We want what you say. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would use, that you would translate, that you would would bring your word to us through the work of your Holy Spirit and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way. In your name we pray. Amen. The church is a hospital for sinners. I've been saying that for years because I think that is one of the best ways to describe the work of the church. It's like a hospital. And just like with a hospital, everyone is welcome. If if you would call 911 right now, the the ambulance would come, pick you up, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your insurance policy. They'll pick you up, they'll take you in the ambulance, and they'll take you to the emergency room. Everybody's welcome at a hospital, and that's how it is with the church. Everybody's welcome. And just like with a hospital, you only go to the hospital when you realize, you recognize that you're sick. You only go to church when you really recognize that you're sick with sin, that you need to be healed, that you need to get better, that you're broken. So the church is a hospital for sinners. But there's one other way that a church and a hospital compares, and I don't know if we always grasp this. I don't know if we always understand this. Just like in a hospital, the work they're doing in the hospital is serious work. It's a matter of life and death. So also the work of the church is serious work. It's a matter of eternal life, eternal death. And that's one area that I don't know if we always remember. I don't know if we always come into the worship service ready to meet with the holy God in reverence and fear because he is a holy God. I don't always know if we remember that just like in a hospital, it's a matter of life and death. This is serious work. The work of the church is serious business. Now we're continuing this sermon series we've been going through called David the Imperfect King. We've been looking at the work of of David, the life of David, and his relationship with with different people. And today we're going to focus on his relationship with God and his life of worship. How David worshipped. And so we're going to answer this important question. How are we to worship the Almighty God? How are we to worship the Almighty God? And to answer that question, we'll go back into that reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, Kind of a strange story, but every detail, again, is very important in this story. But let's give a little background. If you've been following with us through this whole sermon series, you might remember that we began the sermon series talking about how David was marked as the next king of Israel, the second king in their history, even as a young boy, that Samuel came to him and marked him as the future king by anointing him with oil. And then he proved that he had the character to be king and the courage to be king as he stood up against Israel's worst enemy, Goliath himself, that Philistine giant. And then we saw another aspect of of his leadership as he was a faithful friend to, to Nathan, Saul's son. Jonathan, Saul's son. And then we saw uh, his character last week when he could have taken the throne by force and and killed Saul. But instead he let God be the judge. And God was the judge. God deposed King Saul. And then the people chose King David to be their king. And that's where our story picks up. David has been chosen as the king of Israel. And his first order of business is to reestablish true worship to the Lord God in Israel. And how was he going to do that? Well, he decided what they needed to do was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the capital city, back to Jerusalem. So what was the Ark of God? What is the Ark of the Covenant? I think we have a picture here of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. See, about 500 years before David, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave to Moses instructions about the worship service and the the tabernacle, the tent that they worshipped in. And at the center of that tent, that tabernacle, was this golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside this box were a few religious artifacts that would be very important for them to remember their story. There was a jar of manna, how God fed them manna bread every day in the wilderness, Uh, the staff of Aaron um, to show the priestly power that they had. And then finally, there was the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments inside of the ark. And this whole ark was overlaid with gold, and then on top you see those cherubim, those angels that are on top of the ark. And what it was supposed to represent was the throne room of God. That God is in his throne room surrounded by a host of angels and is supposed to represent this throne room of God, the holy presence of God. And so David wants to bring back this this important object to center their worship around the presence of God. And so this is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. Now, you think he's going to use these 30,000 maybe to to start a war or or gather a group of soldiers to to expand his kingdom. But no, it says, he and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned, again, this is supposed to represent his throne room, enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So David... Uh, gathers this huge army of people. You think he's going to start a battle expanding his kingdom, but instead he's starting a processional. He wants to start this, this big festival processional to bring the ark back to the city of David, to the capital city, to, be, to reestablish the worship of the one true God. And so he now has to decide, how are we going to transport this, this very special, holy um, piece of furniture, this box? Says next, verse three. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the, the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. So David, he's a leader, he's very pragmatic and efficient, and he's thinking, okay. Um, the ark of God uh, has been stored at this guy's house, Abinadab. It was at that storage facility. It, uh, during the time of King Saul, they didn't have that central worship of the Lord. It was not in the center of their community. It was stored in this guy's house, Abinadab. And so David is thinking, okay, we've got to bring it from his house, who's so on a hill, down the valley, up into Jerusalem. So up another hill. Uh, so why don't we put it on a cart, a new cart, And then instead of us pulling it, let's get an ox to to pull this cart down down the hill, up the valley, and up to Jerusalem. And since it's been at Abinadab's house, logically, let's have Abinadab's sons, Uzzah and Ahiel, they can be in charge of transporting the cart. They've been around the Ark of the Covenant. This makes perfect sense. He's being very pragmatic, very efficient. Seems very reasonable. And the people are super excited. It's like... It's like the NBA finals in the Deer District. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people that are throwing a party. And I want you to have that kind of picture in your mind, uh, the, the, the finals parade, if any of you went to that. I want you to picture that in your mind. That's what's going on here as the Ark of the Covenant um, is, is, is coming before them. It says this in verse 5. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, cistrums, and cymbals. I mean, they're just throwing a party. It's going to be, it's loud. They're celebrating. They're so filled with joy. They can't believe it. God and his presence is coming back into the heart of their city. It's what makes them a special people of God. It makes them different from all the other nations that their God, the God of the universe, would dwell with them. But then something happens that stops the party. It halts the parade. Something that's very strange. It says this in verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down He died there beside the ark of God. So you can kind of picture this, the... the, the Ox is leading this new cart um, and they, they must maybe hit a rock or hit something and, and the ox kind of stumbled and, and maybe the, the cart kind of teetered back and forth and maybe the, the ark on top of it is kind of swaying back and forth. And, and Usa does what, what I think all of us would do if, if this, this holy artifact of God starts to tip over and it looks like it's going to hit the ground. His reaction, his knee-jerk reaction is to, to put his hand up and to stop the ark from falling and hitting the ground. But when he touched the ark, God's anger burned against him and he died in that moment. At that moment, the parade stopped, the music stopped, everybody slowly dispersed to their house. David stopped, uh, he decided to stop his plans and he decided to to store the ark of God at a pagan's house. Somebody who's probably not a believer at Obed-Edom's house, the Gittite, and see maybe what's going to happen at this guy's house when he leaves the ark there and he goes home. He thinks, there's no way God and his presence can be among us and his people. So what's going on here? Why would God break out and, and, and really bring this guy to death for doing something I think any of us would do in our right mind when we see something stumble to put out our hands and stabilize the ark of God? Well, What we need to know, and I've said this over and over again, we look at the details of this story. What we find when we look at the details of this story is that David did not read the instruction manual as to how you're supposed to transport the ark. You ever do that? Or is that just me? You don't always read the instruction manual when you're supposed to do something. And David seems like he didn't read the instruction manual because when you go back to the The document that they were supposed to read every day. In fact, the king was supposed to write it out with his own hand. In the book of Numbers, chapter 4, Moses got clear instructions from the Lord how they were supposed to transport the ark of God. First of all, it was never supposed to be put on a cart. The tabernacle and the tent and everything that that they carried when they would bring this worship center with them through the wilderness and into Jerusalem. You could carry almost everything on the cart, but not these central things that were inside of the Holy of Holies, inside of the tabernacle, especially the Ark of the Covenant. It was made with these gold rings that wooden poles were always supposed to be in there. They were never supposed to be removed. And they were supposed to carry the Ark, never on a cart. Not only were they supposed to carry it, uh, it was supposed to be draped with this special blue cloth so nobody could actually look upon it. And on top of that, not only, uh, not just anybody was supposed to be allowed to carry it. It was supposed to be only the Levites, this people that was set apart for God to be the, the, the special representatives of God, and not just any Levites, but from the clan of the Kohathites. And because David didn't, Read the instruction manual and he just put it on a cart. Somebody died. See, David was more concerned about being efficient and pragmatic. He thinks that he could almost, you know, just waltz into God's presence, that he could just do whatever seems reasonable when it comes to the worship of God. And because of this irreverent act, it was David's fault actually that Usa died. Usa should never have been there carrying that or guiding that cart in the first place. Now, why does God have such detailed instructions about how you carry a golden box? Why does he care? Well, this ark represented, again, the holy presence of God, his throne room. You See, although God created this world, when this world was tainted with sin and it became corrupted, he was not corrupted. God is holy and pure. There is no sin in God. God is good. And maybe you could think of it this way. Um, Do you know how to get rid of mold? If you have some mold on like a garment or on something or on a piece of cloth, you take the mold out from this dark place and you put it out into the sun and the mold will go away. Because mold cannot stand to be in the sunlight because the sun banishes it, right? It destroys it. In the same way, we are covered with the mold of sin inside and out, and we cannot be in the holy presence of the true Son, God Himself. He will destroy us, not because He's evil, but because He's so good, and every single one of us is sinful. And that's what we learn here from this. We we learn from this story. We learn this that, that God is holy and pure. God is holy and pure. And that changes how we worship him. To answer our opening question, how are we to worship the almighty God? Worship the Lord in reverent fear. In reverent fear. I think this might be something that, that maybe we've lost in, in, the, in our current generation. I, I remember being a young boy growing up and, and, and watching a, some older members of our congregation when they would come in to worship When they came into worship, they would kneel down before they sat in their pew. They would kneel down, hold hands, and they would pray before the Lord. And I don't know what they would pray, but it had this impact on me that they knew that something was happening in this worship service. They were coming to the presence of a holy God, and it was now time to worship. And they did the same thing before communion and after communion. They had this reverent fear of the Lord, I think maybe, in a way, We've lost some of that. Now, I don't mean that we have to go back to some of those practices. I don't think that's what's essential. But maybe we need to re-examine how we look at God. Do we still see God as holy and pure? Are we honest about our own wickedness and evil? Are we honest about how, uh, how, how far short we've come to the holiness of God? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, that was just the Old Testament. That happened in the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. Let me read to you a verse from the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. This is Peter, New Testament Christian, follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially... Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. To have some reverence before God, having this fear before God, and this this fear meaning awe, who he is and who we are in comparison. But that's not the end of the story. What we find out is that this this Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, was stored at this, this uh, pagan's house, Obed-Edom's house, for three months. And I, and I wonder if David was trying to you know, think, well, what's going to happen to his house now? He's a pagan. Uh, he's probably going to also lose his life. We'll see what happens at his house. But he finds out that Obed-Edom and his whole household is being blessed by the presence of God. The presence of God is not destroying Obed-Edom's house, but he's actually blessing him. And so David starts to think, well, maybe we should try this again. Maybe we should try it again and bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. But this time he reads the instruction manual. And we know that because when we read in another account in 1 Chronicles, the retelling of this story, how David uh, rethought. he He thought again about how he's supposed to carry the Ark. This is what it says. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the Ark of God. Because the Lord chose them to carry the Ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. You are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to to consecrate yourselves and bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place where I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire about him or about how to do it in the prescribed Way. So David says, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to come to God's word with reverent fear and see what he says about worship and see what he says about carrying this ark. And that's what they did. And so when we go back to 2 Samuel, we hear, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fat calf. So now they're carrying it on poles the prescribed way with reverence and fear, and they're making these sacrifices every six steps. It's not about efficiency. It's not about, it's not about uh, just getting things done. It's not just putting your time. It's not just about checking the box. It's not just about getting, getting things done. It's about being in the holy presence of God, and he's doing it the prescribed way. But the story doesn't end there. This is what we also hear. Verse 14. And wearing a linen ephod, the, the priestly clothes, actually, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And so we, we, we hear that, that David, yes, he's following what God says about how to worship in reverent fear, that he's following the prescribed way, but David is now dancing. And, and, and the people are going crazy they're, they're, with shouts and with trumpets. They're bringing the music back. In fact, we don't have time to get to it, but there's a whole section here later on where where David is dancing so much, so over the top. He's that guy, you know, at the wedding reception, he's dancing over the top, that his wife is embarrassed of him. She says, what are you doing? But he just can't help it. Because this holy God, who's totally apart from us, uh, somebody who's holy and uncontaminated by sin, wants to dwell with his people in mercy and compassion and love. That this holy, all-powerful God wants to live in our midst. And he can't take it. He just overflows with joy and singing and dancing. And so this teaches us something else. So yes, God is holy and pure. We, we've already said that God is holy and pure, but also full of mercy and love. He's holy and pure, but also full of mercy and love. Well, how do these two ideas, how can they be reconciled? We have holy and pure and mercy and love. How do you, how do you reconcile those? Well, let's go back again to that idea of a hospital for sinners. I want you to picture yourself going into the hospital for surgery. Let's say you have some cancer that needs to be removed. And they can remove it. And right before surgery, your surgeon comes up to, to, uh, to meet with you. Except he's not wearing surgical clothes. He's wearing some grubby, dirty clothes. And he tells you he just got done washing the bathrooms at the hospital. And he doesn't seem like he's going to actually be uh, washing his hands or putting on a surgical mask. Uh, He's just planning on on going in and taking that cancer. Are you ready to let that kind of surgeon go inside of you with all of the the viruses and bacteria on his hand? No, because that kind of surgeon is going to contaminate you, right? He's not going to help you. He's going to actually contaminate you when he goes in to take that cancer out. No, when you're you're getting ready for surgery, you want to see the surgeon who's wearing the surgical garb, he's wearing the mask, he's washed his hands, he's, he's in that sterile garb, because you want him to be holy and pure so that he can help you and not hurt you. And that's the same way, that's what we have in Jesus Christ. We have the great physician who is holy and pure, uncontaminated, and decided to use his holiness to work on you to eradicate the cancer of sin out of your body without contaminating you, but he gives you his holiness because he lived for you, he died for you, and he rose for you. And as forgiven love child of God, the only response is exuberant joy. And so that leads us to answer that question. How are we to worship the almighty God? Worship in reverent fear, but also in exuberant joy. It's the balance we're trying to have here at Victory. There are times in this service, in the church service, where we we dim the lights, we we quiet down, we confess our sins, a time of quietness and repentance, recognizing that we're in the presence of a holy God. We have time before the Lord's Supper, which we'll have today, where we, we confess our sins and recognize our wickedness and sin. And there are times in this service where there's exuberant joy, where we stand, we sing, we clap. Now, depending on your background, one of those things might be easier than the other, right? If you grew up in a, in a church that really emphasized the holiness and, and, and purity of God and his judgment and the reverence of God, then it might be hard for you to stand up and clap and sing and dance. If you went to a church that maybe is more charismatic or maybe that kind of background, it's, it's hard for you to grasp how sinful we really are, but we really need both before A holy God, a good and loving God. So that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Practice that in this worship service. We'll have the Lord's Supper today. Take a moment to really recognize who you are and who God is, that you're going to touch the holy things of God, and yet God is not going to hurt you, harm you. He's going to save you through them. Take time to, to recognize your sin, but then Respond in exuberant joy. Sing, dance. Sing like David over the top. Let let us hear those words. doesn't matter if it's out of key, but sing with exuberant joy. Worship the Lord who loves you. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's a hospital for sinners not because this place is anything special. And we certainly don't have the Ark of the Covenant here. But what makes it a hospital for sinners is because Jesus, the great physician, is here through his word, through the baptism, through the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the great physician, is here to work on your heart. And so let's respond by worshiping him in reverent fear, but especially with exuberant joy. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here. We can't believe that you, a holy God, would want to come into our midst in Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to sense your presence, your love, your acceptance, your guidance, your power so that we'd be filled with your peace and especially your joy. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelam.com.